The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 178 for Friday, November 28th, 2008. Hey, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. I'm Dave Hamilton. I am here in TMO Towers East with John F. Braun, yeah. as it said on your placard at the table yesterday, that was and Pilot nice. Pete. Woo-hoo. Hi. Yeah. We're all in the same place. This could be dangerous. This could be very dangerous. For, of course. For security reasons. This, we could, you know, we're all, we're all, you know, still suffering from a tryptophan-induced, uh, you know. Ah, that's, that's a myth. Right, yeah. it is. Yeah, so hopefully we're not... Uh, Totally suffering more today. from. Uh, I was passed uh, out for another reason. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> I think that was true. Pete. I think I'm suffering more from uh, whiskey intake. Or uh, <laughs> that'll do it. That'll do it. So yeah, so it's morning here. Though you'd never know that in the studio because it's uh, totally devoid of any outside light or or sound. Hopefully, we have all sorts of stuff to go through today. Um, questions about permissions and airport and hardware issues and encryption and all kinds of stuff. So uh, we should just get right uh, right into it. Right? Is there anything wrong with it. that, John? Anything to report? Your, your your drive up was good. We had a good Thanksgiving. Yep. I love, love my GPS. Told me, uh, you know, they're amazing little devices. It is something. It, yeah. I chose I a little taxi. My car's a little taxi. A little change <laughs> he, he could change. There. He could, uh, on, on his Garmin, right? He can change the... Um, the, the the icon for his car from the, what normal car into like a taxi. You've got what a, a police car, fire engine, fire, uh, got, a broom, the Harry Potter like broomstick. Harry Potter broom. That's great. That's awesome. I know what my son would do. Jeez, <laughs> he loves Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. Me too. Oh yeah, the next one. You see the preview for it. We're, we're getting off track here, but the uh, that that one's going to be kind of dark. I think. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about James here. So James writes, well, I finally bit the bullet and purchased a new 15 inch MacBook pro, which I was upgrading from my old 15 inch first Intel MacBook pro. I went to, I went the whole nine yards getting the 320 gig hard drive, four gigs of RAM, etc. I love the machine. I did a transfer of data using firewire from my old back MacBook to the new MacBook. Okay. Now my problem, when I did the transfer, I had to change my short name, which sounds okay, but I work off a firewire C hard drive. This has caused all kinds of issues. Many of the files I try to save, I am told I can't read to the drive. I check the folder or the file and find my old short name from my old MacBook pro and write unchecked. Isn't there a way to change the entire drive? So I don't have to keep changing folders and files. I don't ever remember having this problem when I transferred all my stuff from my old PowerBook G4 to my older MacBook Pro. Any advice? All right. Uh, so there's there's two things that happen here. We can give them the answer, but we should talk about what's going on. with In Unix, you do have your short username, but it's mapped to, like, like anything else with computers, right? It's mapped to an ID, a user ID. And typically, the first user on a Mac OS X machine that's created is user ID 501. So if you have an external drive, that drive may have the permissions for user 501. If you plug it into uh, a computer that's owned, say, if you plugged it into my computer, that drive would, all those files would appear to be owned by user Dave, because Dave is user 501 on my mm-hmm. computer. 
on your computer, James, for whatever reason, user 501 is your old user account, presumably because the, the migration assistant sucked that over. Uh, so it, you've got to change your external drive from ownership of 501 to probably 502, but really it doesn't matter. You can use, you can, we can use short usernames to do all this stuff. It's just kind of good to know what's, uh, what's going on. So, uh, so John, my, you know, my, my old standby, of course, is the terminal to do that. And I would do, uh, use the ch own command, C-H-O-W-N, and that allows you to change the owner of a file or a folder or a group of files and folders recursively. And the way you do it recursively is you do chone space dash capital R for recursively space the new username and then another space and the path to the drive. So in this case, it, you know, let's say your new username, your new short username is James. It would be chone space dash capital R space James, all lowercase space slash volumes slash the name of your firewire drive. And and then that would it may take a little bit of time because it's actually mm-hmm. going to go through and churn through everything and, and do it. And that will that will do it now. Then to add write permissions, you need to use the ch mod uh, command line utility terminal tool binary, whatever it is. You type ch mod at the command line again with a space in the dash capital R and then U plus W, which will add write privileges for the user and then space slash volumes and slash etc the name of the drive right yeah it's, it's funny though it sounds like uh, i don't know this shouldn't happen i don't know uh, it depends on how the migration happened i think i mean yeah it, it sounds like the because migration assistant is what i typically use it, it sounds like that it was not used in this case because uh that, that should take care of all these problems. oh right right yeah if he had to change his short but but if migration assistant wasn't used then the C drive should have been, I mean, it, it, then his, then his username would have been, or his user ID would have been 501 and it wouldn't mm-hmm. have been an issue. Yep. So, so that's a cool tip. Now, uh, also as, uh, you know, we, we found out during the show here, uh, although, you know, it's, a uh, you know, very macho to use the command line, um, <laughs> this option very nicely and they do something extra. This is one of these, you know, pleasant little surprises that you find in Mac OS 10. Yeah. So you can change permissions through, a, if you do get info and uh, the subcategory, what the heck is it? Uh, let me bring it up here. Yeah, there's a subcategory, sharing and permissions. Yep. You know, you got to click the lock to enable that, but then you notice this, Dave, and this is the, so in addition to that, allowing you to uh, change permissions, hold on, and you got to enter your password to unlock, there is a revert changes item in the little, uh, you know, gear um, Right. So, that, yeah, there's two things that are good in the gear. One is the apply to enclosed items, which does it recursively so you don't have to change it. And this is presumably where James was changing it, actually, was in this get info window. But if you look at, yeah, the little tool thing John mentioned at the bottom, there's that enclosed apply to enclosed items. Mm-hmm. Now, one of my fit now here, here's just to warn, you know, the newbies out there. Um, if somebody, uh, one very dangerous recursive command, uh, you may run across this, Dave, and don't type this in. RM space dash r don't do that if someone tells you to unless you want to wipe everything out here or ar i think which basically no rm space dash r is actually a command it's great because it lets you delete a directory and all of its contents yeah but if you follow that up by a space slash Hmm. well now you're telling it to delete the slash directory Hmm. which for those of you who don't know is 
the whole drive. Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't I don't recommend doing that without yeah. uh, really knowing what you're doing. Yeah, I've, I've just seen, you know, on occasion, you know, somebody will try to pull a fast one and make a post on a board saying, hey, for all you new users, here's an optimization tip that really speeds your machine up, which it I does. guess potentially that's, it does because it's going to get rid of all those annoying files. That it's take not untrue. Time to load. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your machine will get right to where it's going to get real, real fast. You know, you probably won't even have to wait for that, uh, you know, any spinning gears or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, don't type that. All right. Should we... Uh, are we good on this one? Should we move on to George? Go. Okay. George called in, and George says, So this is George in Tulsa. I'm listening to 177, and I'm out with the dog on a beautiful day. It's 62 degrees, and tomorrow's Thanksgiving. Question. You're talking about defragging a Mac, but every time it installs software, I get this message, Optimizing. Is that the same thing as defragging? That's the question. Thanks a lot. Bye. I love that even though we're not using Skype or anything, uh-huh. we still get uh, the the skipping junk. Ugh, I don't know what that is. Actually, I do know what it is. It's a mm-hmm. buffer thing, but we haven't had it in a while. All right. So I, I know I know I do know what the problem was. We just paused the show for a minute. It was Time Machine. So it was all the extra disc activity that Time Machine was doing in addition to us playing the comment and, of course, recording the show to the same disc. So that that, uh, you know, I didn't go through my my normal routine of turning off uh, Time Machine and and all that because we're sort of out of our element here. And. Uh, and so that's that's what's going on. Uh, so let's answer, answer George's question. Cause we just played it. And then, and then pilot Pete actually has a question that he'll, uh, he'll throw into the mix here for, to see if he can stump the geeks. <laughs> um, all right. So, so George optimizing versus defragging. So when software is being installed, John, does it do, what is the optimizing thing? Cause it is not defragging. It is something completely different. And you've, you yep. found what it is. It's all lies. So they're really not optimizing. So what they're doing, and, and Dave, I think you found that there's actually a command line, you know, being the command line type of guy that you are. Yeah. Um, what it's doing uh, is something called pre-binding. Um, and essentially, it's a way to speed the launching of applications. So it does some work ahead of time so that applications can launch quicker. And when you install a new application or, you know, an OS update, um, you may have new system libraries or some other sort of library. So this operation has to be redone. Got so, um, so in a sense, it is optimizing your system because it will let you launch things faster. But, but it can be misleading because, yeah, there's a number of ways to interpret the word optimizing. Right. Right. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I dug into that. The command at the command line that's run is called update underscore pre-binding. But really what that is, if you do a man page on it, it's actually update underscore DYLD underscore shared underscore cache, which is exactly what you just described here. And, and if you want to read more about it, uh, you can type that at the command line man for uh, manual page. So man space update underscore prebinding. And it'll bring you to this and tell you a little bit more about what it's doing. Um, but it, it's, it's essentially what, you know, John just said that. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, there should That's never it. be a reason that you have to do it manually. But if you're into that sort of thing, you know. Yeah, I, I, I know Cocktail and Onyx, I think, will will do that behind the scenes if, uh, you know, if, if you tell them to. And like you said, I mean, if you're into that sort of thing, 
great. You know, it's possible that something could get out of sync, especially if you had an install that failed during that stage. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's it's possible, highly unlikely, but uh, possible. We're going to we're going to do the uh, first sponsor for our show here before Pete asks his question. And that's Audio Engine at AudioEngineUSA.com. And. Today we're talking about the Audio Engine W1, which is a set of USB-powered wireless transceivers built for sending sound. And the idea is you have one plugged into wherever your speakers are, or perhaps plugged into your stereo uh, setup in, you know, in your living room. And then the other one you plug into your computer. Now, if it's plugged into the computer you can actually do USB sound out to this little dongle thing, which means you're getting higher quality sound out to it. And then in real time, it beams the sound through the air over to your speakers. And the cool thing is it beams it. There is so the latency is so low that you can actually watch a movie on your Mac screen and listen to the sound through the wireless, uh, wirelessly connected speakers with no noticeable, uh, skipping or anything like that, you know, no, no lag at all. So these are the W ones from audio engine. They are $149 available at AudioEngineUSA.com. I've used them. They sound great. There's no compromise in sound quality. And again, they're, they're USB powered. So if you have a set of speakers that has a USB jack on it, the speakers can power the unit. Otherwise it comes with a little USB power adapter and, uh, and you can power the, the receiver that way. So, AudioEngineUSA.com, the Audio Engine W1. All right, Pete, you're up. So when I paused the show before, folks, to uh, to spin down time time machine and and you know get us back into uh, into sync here, Pete says, you know, while we're paused, I'm having this problem with my Mac. <laughs> Thinking, uh, you know, we can do this while the tape rolls. It's kind of what we do. So there you go. Yeah. Well, uh, to the background on it is I left the house a little while ago and the battery was fully charged. And uh, normally I see two and a half hours. And first thing I notice is I got like an hour and 20 minutes. And now the power is jumping all the way around from, it's at 53 minutes right now. I've seen it as low as 40 minutes remaining on battery to as much as an hour and 20. And I so I opened activity monitor and I'm... As and, any uh, good geek should do. That's right. And, yep. I was no, and I'm noticing like right now, my uh, CPU one's at 70%. A second ago was at... 95 percent uh and it's been as high as 102 percent using them both and it's syslog d and i'm wondering if that's one i can kill without killing <laughs> without killing the entire process i know something like the kernel task is probably a bad one to get rid of yeah <laughs> if you if you even could quit the kernel task which i don't i don't i don't know i think it just shuts you down if you do it, it, yeah. that would be the best case yeah. scenario <laughs> here i'll yes. try it hold on <laughs> all right good perfect john uh, yeah, so I see this problem all the time on on Leopard, and and it's as far as I'm concerned a bug in Leopard. There is, and we've talked about this before. There is a uh, so Syslog D, despite the fact that it sounds very critical, you can quit that process. So you can go ahead and quit it, Pete. Um, it, it'll it's probably almost certainly running as root, which means you'll have to when you go to quit it, it'll it'll make you authenticate. Watch my password. Good. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And and never once will I look at, at your screen, but I, I know what what it's doing here. So, uh, in in Leopard, there is, and that should fix the problem. It's back, but it will come back, right? <laughs> that so so that's the thing. So you got to go to the terminal, and uh, there is uh, you're going to do cd space slash var slash log, and hit enter. 
And if you use my favorite terminal command, which is uh, LS space dash L-H-A-T. So that's LS for list files. Okay, scroll to the top of that list. What it's doing is it's doing a, 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 a long listing of the files. It's putting them in human readable format for right. the H. A is it's showing you all files, which in this case it, it doesn't need to. And then T is order by time, reverse order. So the most recently updated file is at the top. And if I'm, if I'm uh, intuiting what you're seeing there correctly, Pete, the top file is ASL.DB. Oh, you're good. Is your, you got a mirror over here? No, no. See, guys, I live, I live this hell, folks. Um, that ASL.DB is the file that Leopard kind of pumps all of its log data into. And then it's split out to other other files that you can see directly. But the DB is a, a database of these. And there's some bug in Leopard that causes the indexing of that database to freak out. So what you're going to do is you're going to type RM space. And you probably need to do it sudo because I think uh-huh. ASL.DB is owned by root, which you'll see in the list there. It, it is. Okay. So you got to do sudo S-U-D-O space RM, our favorite remove command, space ASL.DB. Password. Yes. That will remove the file. Then you need to go requit the syslog D process and uh, it should start itself back up. Uh, yeah. ASL, I think that's Apple system log. I, 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 yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Now, you know, there's, there's all sorts of theories about what causes, what triggers this problem and, and it didn't work. It's well, it's back again. Syslog it D. Is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, boy. Now, is it the same? Did it? It doesn't appear to did, be using it yet. Did it many. quit? It did quit. Okay. It asked me to force quit. I gave it my password. Is the but process ID different? Uh, no, still syslog D. No, you like you get a you should get a process ID. Well, you might oh, not have that. Oh, I didn't column. look at the number beforehand. And, okay. Yeah, so. Well, kill it again. Oh, okay. And see if see if it gets a different process ID. This usually fixes it for me. But again, if there's something on the machine that's triggering it, um, it's not you know it's not gonna. It is a different. Okay. Process ID. But it's but it's pegging again, huh? No, no, it's not. Pe- I just noticed that it was back, so I, I should have expected that, I guess. But now, yes. I'm, you know, now I'm down in the CPU in the thirty to forty percent range, which is okay. better than ninety five to one hundred two. Right, right. Okay, so it should, yeah, it should spin down and and chill out. Uh, oh, my battery point. life's already back to an hour. See, look at that. This is what we do here, folks. Have, do you, and now, John, have you ever experienced this problem on your on your machine on your MacBook Pro? This is my oh, first time. In 18, 20 months now. God, man, I get it all the time. Uh, I'm hey, sorry I brought my machine over near you. Probably, yeah, exactly. John, you're next. It'll, you might just want to get those commands Keep ready. away from me. <laughs> Keep your machines away from my machine. Uh, all right. So uh, it's time for, time for Mitchell here. Mitchell? Thank you. Right? Let me just make sure we're still recording. We are. Okay, good. I'm all out of sorts. Because I'm turned and facing you guys and using the mouse with my left hand and all that stuff. Uh, Mitchell writes, I have one of the new MacBooks, which is amazing. And I'm using the airport of my iMac for Internet and file sharing. But all of a sudden, the airport turned off on the iMac and won't turn on. So my question is, is there any way to turn it back on? So yeah, I emailed Mitchell back and, and suggested two things. One was uh, reset the PRAM on the machine, right, John? Mm-hmm. Yep. 
And then the which is done by rebooting and then holding down command option PR until you hear the startup chime again. Uh, and then the other would be to remove airport from if go into system preferences and remove airport from the um, the in the in the network list, remove it and then re-add it because maybe there's some plist file that's 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 not working quite right. Unfortunately for Mitchell, neither of those solved his problem. So that that sort of leaves us with us scratching our heads here, John. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm suspecting it's a it's a hardware problem. Now, the one thing you, you could try is to go to the uh, system profiler, which you can get to if you go to about this Mac and then click on more info. Um, you'll see some major categories, and there is a network category. And at least on my machine here, um, there is a sub item called airport card. Um, and looking at that, like mine says, you know, card type airport extreme, locale, USA, firmware version, uh, the network that it's on, which is Dave the Nerd, um, and wireless channel. So um, usually, yeah, if the hardware's not present, it'll say something like your system doesn't have an airport card. Um, yeah, that's true. I, and I'm on an iMac here, and, and you'll see the same thing. So, it, yeah, under network, the first thing I see listed is airport card. Now, my guess is if you don't have an airport card, that might not even appear there. Um, I think it may because I'm, I'm looking at other things in the hardware category and there's a few things like fiber channel and some other things oh. where you click on them and it just says your system doesn't have this. So that's true. So I suspect it, it it's listed on all machines and I mean, but gosh, a, a machine. Well, no, yeah, it's not unusual. I guess a ma- machine could not have a card or it may need to be reseated. I don't know how accessible it is. In, uh, right, right. Yeah. If it's even I mean, it may mm-hmm. be soldered in these machines. Well, this was a iMac, right? So, yeah, um, so's that. Yeah, I'm not sure how you get at it. We'll have to. Yeah, but yeah, I, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Sounds like a hardware problem. Being a software guy, yeah, I, I blame hardware. So, so here's something, and this is what made me suggest uh, resetting the PRAM. Is I had on my G5 iMac occasionally uh, the FireWire. You know, you'd plug in a FireWire drive and it wouldn't mount. And after, you know, after I would go through the whole, you know, rigmarole of trying to figure out why I'd end up here and my machine would say, just like you said, it would say, you know, this system does not contain any FireWire devices. And it's like, uh, OK. And, and a PRAM reset would bring that back. Yeah. So, I, you know, for what it's worth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, it could be a hardware problem uh, there, Mitchell, that's which is, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I guess you could also. There's the um, system diagnostics you could run. Oh yeah, that may that may identify an issue. Of course, I think on the most recent machines, I think you hold down D when you boot the machine, and I think that'll uh, launch. Uh, from now, is that do you hold down D and boot the machine from the CD that came with it? Right? Um, no, I'm pretty it? sure the newer machines, it's it's actually built into a partition. I don't think they put it on uh, a DVD anymore. Uh, interesting. Yeah, you know, I heard some of it. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. Are you researching that, Pete? No. Okay. Sorry. All right. I saw. I saw you deep in study, sick, so yes. I, I. I wasn't sure if we. Should, you don't want. You don't want to know what he's doing. If we, if we should vamp, I, I don't want to know. <laughs> I, actually, if I if I close my eyes again, I can you know do the amazing Kreskin here and 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 see what he sees. Slog <laughs> <laughs> uh, D is back. No. Is it? Is it back? It is. Yeah. No kidding. One hundred percent. Is time well? Time capsule wouldn't or time machine wouldn't be running. No, many people, many people off. have attributed time capsule, time machine rather, to the, uh, you know, to, to right. firing that off. Right. Hmm. Would, yeah. Not good. Not good. It's definitely it's turned off. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it, it wouldn't be backing up here anyway. At least it, I mean, <laughs> it better it'd be, not be. be interesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. So uh, let's get back to, uh, let's get back to the show here. Shall we? Yes. Indeed. Anybody? Bueller? Bueller. That's just not, I'm, I'm not. All right, there we go. Hey guys, love the show. Keep up the good work. Got Thanks. a quick question for you about encrypting data. I understand that Fire Vault or File Vault is uh, built into OS 10, and it will encrypt your home folder. But uh, I've been doing some research and found out that some people are complaining about performance hits, and uh, as well as worried about what can happen if your system, if you get a kernel panic or you crash or the power goes out, you can get uh, to whether the sparse image is completely corrupted, um, as well as if you have all of your music and movies in the respective directories in your home folder, you've got no reason to uh, want to to encrypt all of that data. So uh, just wondering what your opinion is. Is there a better way? Uh, how about just doing a, a sparse, making a sparse image in, in disk utility and uh, applying encryption and then and then somehow setting that up to auto mount and auto uh, open up every time you log in. Um, is there? Uh, just want to know your your ideas and thoughts on that. If uh, what the best idea is, the best way of uh, doing that. All right. Thanks. Bye bye. All right. Uh, so, John, thoughts? Um. Well, the one thought is, um, yeah, I guess the encryption could. Yeah, that could. I, slow, uh, I, uh, I've I, heard File I, Vault is is notoriously slow. Okay, I mean, I know it does something wacky with, uh, you know, you you have to, uh, well, yeah, because it has to unencrypt and re-encrypt, you know, when you're logging in or logging out and stuff like that. During use, well, yeah, I guess it could slow you down a little bit. Well, shouldn't that much? I mean, it, it, from what I hear from from reports in the field, it's, yeah, it's... I'll have to try to enable it and see. It's terrible. So, so yeah, so if there's if there's a bit of data that you want to encrypt, I think the sparse image is great, right? You create one of those, encrypt just like you said, and, mm-hmm. and you're good to go. I think I, from from what I understand, that's going to be faster than File Vault, which is going to encrypt your home directory, all of it, and and pull it out. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, well, you're you're, you're laughing because no, you know you, you know. No, because he typed something silly. Ah, Sorry. I, I um, catch up on that. Okay. But, okay. Uh, oh, no, oh, no, I yeah, have right. seen something, and I think these are up and coming, which could eliminate a, a you know speed issue. Is that they do have drives that have the encryption on the drive. They're right. starting to do that, and I would think that having the circuitry on the drive itself would um would eliminate that problem. I'll have to try one of those. Well, and I, then, I see a few people make them where basically yeah, right. the entire contents, I guess, through a. Uh, hardware on the drive like here i see seagate makes one and interesting so there's there's a there's a, a middle ground here though right and, and this is why pete's arms are waving mm. wildly in the air and and as many of you may remember pete encrypted his whole disc with yeah. P, pgp i was going to say php pgp whole disk encryption and so you, you've been using this for a while and we've actually had a couple of people write in and say you know can we get a status check you know right. long-term use so right oh, so. It's, it's going well well before that i also want to mention uh, you've got that disk utility you can create you could use uh, encryption in disk utility in that little encrypt this app that we talked about oh that's right if you want to just do a file or a few files right. create that encrypted and you can do it manually in, in disk utility or get encrypt this google it works okay. well but 
PGP. We'll, we'll put a link to encrypt this in the show notes, yeah. of course. The uh, the PGP, whole disk encryption, is uh, about as invisible and seamless as you can get. If it wasn't for the fact that the computer made me type my password when I do a cold boot on it, I would forget it was there. It is amazing stuff, and it's good peace of mind. I know if, when I turn my computer off, if it ever gets uh, stolen, my data is completely safe. Uh, a couple reminders on it. Um, you can't use it with boot camp yet. You can use it with Parallels or VMware. Um, it it uh, doesn't take all that long. I, I replaced my hard drive yesterday, and it, it went to a 300-gig hard drive, and it said, look, you're going to need about 14 hours to do this. So I put it on it, and I left the house, and I was back six hours later, and it was asleep and done. So it took well under six hours, I would imagine, probably in the two- to three-hour range like it did the last time I did it or the first time. Uh, I, I should. Um, the uh, and, and just a couple other notes I wanted to mention on that. Th- their user guide, their basic user guide you get with the software is pretty good. Um, if you have any questions, their PDF uh, support documentation is very thorough. It's easy to navigate. It's searchable. Um, it is, it, and it's top-notch. They have really good uh, uh, documentation that comes with it. You can also get uh, email and phone support and that kind of stuff huh. with them, so they're they're good there. Not wood. I haven't had to use it. The two drawbacks that I can think of off the top of my head are you can't use single user mode and you can't use target disk mode because right. the first thing, you know, if someone were to rip off your machine and pull out the hard drive to try and get to your data, they're not getting to it. PGP is not letting you in okay. uh, without the without the password. And but you can create a boot disk that will then unencrypt the drive if you can't boot the drive, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay, so at least there's some safety measure there right. in, in terms of, you know, if, if you if you munge the OS on the drive, you know, now, it, you know, it's over, but but not if you've got their boot disk. Right. Okay. Hmm. Now, Pete, you, you, uh, you, you got a new hard drive? I did. Recently? I, went, uh, I did. Where did I buy it? I think wow. I bought it from OWC. Um, well, the problem is I got too many videos of the kids, so uh. I was down to like six gigs left on my 120 gig hard drive. <laughs> it's amazing. Now, how was it? Because um, uh, in, in my you know Mac experience, uh, it ranges anywhere. I think probably the best machine was the, the TieBook, where you basically just pull the keyboard off and there you were. You could just get at the hard drive. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, I think was my uh, trusty, uh, you know, former uh, PowerBook G four twelve inch, which you basically had to disassemble like the entire machine to get to the hard drive. It was like not for, you know, only for advanced geeks. I, I was not willing to to take that adventure because it just looked like a real pain in the neck. Right, and and yeah, both of those that machine and then the iBook, which was out at the same time. Mm-hmm kind of scared me off from ever even attempting this again. Now, of course, the new MacBook Pros, the the the, mm. the black glass ones, uh-huh. they're, they're really easy, right? The drive is just, it's like four mm. screws and out comes the drive. But but you've got, you know, one of the older MacBook Pros. So, yeah, walk us walk us well, through this, Pete. I, I went to uh, the trusty website, ifixit.com, and uh, I had my son's MacBook sitting there as as ready reference the entire time. I suppose you could have, I could have printed it out and done it that way, but I wanted to be able to move around as I needed. So I had the, his machine on and sitting next to me. Um, I asked him actually to look it up and of course he couldn't find it. So here's a trick. Uh, you have to look under MacBook and then it'll pull a drop down menu and you can select MacBook or MacBook pro and the size and the model to get to it. This is at iFixit. This is, is at right? iFixit.com. Okay. Um, and they have, 
several guides, and they're all very well detailed, step-by-step instructions with photographs, uh, you know, what way to orient your machine to best make it work. There were probably eh, fewer than 20 screws uh, to get to it, start by removing the battery and the and the memory shield, and then all the screws on each side. I think there's four on each side of the machine, four on the front, two on the back. Then you've got to, you know, slowly work the keyboard up. My number one hint is... Uh, don't start without all the tools you need unless you want to put your machine back together until you can go get the tools because the, you need the 10-millimeter Torx screw, uh, screwdriver. You, right. you, you've got to, so you've got to have a tiny Phillips screwdriver. You've got to have the Torx screwdriver um, and the uh, plastic spludger so you don't short out your keyboard as you're trying to pry up ribbons and oh, tape. Oh, but it's so, fun. It is fun. Yeah. It, yeah, and I'll <laughs> tell you what. It, I, I was very intimidated at first, thinking, you know, this thing's still under Apple Care. I don't want to do these kind of things, but got a quote of about $90 for someone else to do it. And I'm tempted to open my own Apple repair shop now because it was <laughs> it was definitely worth saving $90. I did it myself in under, it was between 30 and 45 minutes. Wow. And it, it went just as smoothly as it could possibly go. Um, the only hang up I had was on the front of the case. Getting uh, getting it to pry up where it meets the uh, super drive, the DVD drive, but uh, you know a little patience and rocking it just like they said. They said you know be careful, rock it up and down; it'll eventually come loose. And uh, it did. It, it there's a lot of stuff in there. I was like, oh man, this looks this looks like it's going to be tough, but it really wasn't nearly as bad uh, as I thought uh, it was going to be. Um, and one step they tell you to do, which I, fortunately, I had my son there, so I I didn't pull up the uh, the ribbon cable that mounts to the the motherboard that connects the keyboard and the trackpad. I just had my son hold it at about a forty five degree angle while I worked on the hard drive. So that's a step you can skip if you have a second pair of hands there. Um, trying to think what else. It, it, it's not if, if you've never worked on a computer before ever. I probably wouldn't do it. Sure. If, if you've ever pulled a desktop apart and felt comfortable replacing a uh, any one of the cards, a network card or a video card or something like that, it really was not much more difficult than that. Wow, that's 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 promising to hear because I had I had sworn off ever doing that again. Okay. So you know, actually, I'm sorry. I helped uh, our buddy Duffy. That's I was right. kind of looking you over did. his shoulder. Yeah. Uh, the one thing we ran into. So so a note here. So you know, one is. You know, get some tape or something. You know, keep track of all your screws and right. make sure oh, you don't yeah. have any left over. But I think we did have a problem because then what happened after we, uh, and again, he was doing the work. I was just kind of guiding him. Uh, I think what happened, the, the machine would kind of randomly shut down. And apparently what happened is that there was a, one of the ribbon cables we had, um, or there was a piece of tape that I think the intent was to insulate one thing in the computer from another. And, and I don't believe we placed that back exactly oh. in the right place so we had this intermittent problem when the case was flexed because he brought it to a place and that that was their conclusion is, okay uh, you know so uh yeah actually probably a good thing is you know take a snapshot oh. of the machine when you have it open and then look at it as you're putting it back together and just make sure everything looks looks the same because in this idea. case it was just yeah. this one little piece of tape yeah that was a little off and uh huh and, and that makes yeah. sense though yeah, yeah. That's good couch. And what I did to keep track of all my screws, I just just took an eight and a half by eleven piece of paper, and uh, put you know battery compartment screws times two, and I put the two screws there, and a little further down, I put you know uh, memory yeah. shield screws times three, and I put those right there, and I just kept those on the piece of paper and forbid my three year old from running in or out of the room. So. Right. <laughs> Wait, somebody when we talked about this uh, 
several months ago, somebody wrote in and, and suggested ice cube trays for ah, keeping all the screws. Oh, yeah, very excellent. excellent. Yeah, yeah, because that way they're just right there and you're totally good to go. So I'd never thought about that, but yeah. I like I, it. I didn't have any extra parts or anything. I was shocked. You know, I'm usually really, see, I, I think I actually, I, I'm, I'm good at making computers more efficient because when I finish these projects, I have all sorts of extra parts left over and I don't know why the factory felt the, the need to include them in the first place. <laughs> That's right. You know. All right. Our second sponsor for this show is Audible at audiblepodcast.com slash MacGeekGab. That will get you one free book and a two-week free trial to Audible Listener Gold. And I, I'm putting John on the spot here, but but I've, I've, got a, I've got your back. You're not flying without a net. Do you have a, a book recommendation for us? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I prepped this show on Wednesday night at about 2 a.m. And then John, of course, woke up the next morning and, uh, you know, Thanksgiving and got on the road. So, uh, so, but we did have a good book discussion yesterday at, uh, at, at Thanksgiving. And, and one of the books and authors that we, we talked about was David Baldacci's uh, series about the Camel Club. So Camel Club was the first book. And then I think Stone Cold and the Collectors are, are in this, this series. And it's a, about a, uh, a group of people in Washington that, uh, you know, tinfoil hat wearers that are always looking to try and uh, what are you doing? Oh, I see what's happening. Never mind. That are, that are always looking to try and, and, and make sure that, uh, you know, there's no wrongdoings going on either by the government or, or by anyone else. And so it's, 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 yeah, it's good. No, it's good with the tinfoil hat. I, I, I get into it. My dad was into it and you said you hadn't read uh it hadn't listened to, to those yet, right? I hadn't, no. Hadn't. Okay. No. Yeah. I, I'm going to go for them because I love yeah. listening, especially, you know, my commute. Yeah. <laughs> I love listening to audiobooks. That's right. That's right. So the Camel Club uh, is is the first one to start with, and uh, and they've got it both abridged and unabridged, either one of which you could get for free by visiting audiblepodcast.com slash MacGeekCab. And... Uh, their audibles on board again for for December, so we'll make sure to have some some more picks later in December. Audiblepodcast.com slash Matt Geek. Yep. Uh, if your your two week free trial, if you cancel uh, at the end of that, you will own nothing, and you get to keep your free book, your free audio book. So uh, you can play your audio books on your computer. You can burn them to CD. You can transfer them to your iPod or iPhone, uh, and you can even transfer them to your Kindle. But you need, I'm pretty sure you need a PC to authorize a Windows machine or Parallels or something to authorize your Kindle to play the audio audiobooks. And then it's then you can transfer them from your Mac, but you, you've got to do that first authorization, I think. But I haven't tried it in a while because I already authorized my uh, my Kindle. So audiblepodcast.com slash MacGeekGib. All right. Is it time to do Jed? We skipped Jed on, on Monday. Should we, should we do Jed here? Let's go with Jed. All right. We're going to go with Jed. Jed is... Uh, Hey guys, this is Jed. Um, I'm calling with a question. I called you a couple weeks ago about gigabit drives versus um, versus FireWire, and you know I'm I bought one and then returned it because it turned out it couldn't write to Mac, even though it said it was Mac compatible. So then I bought another one, and I gotta say it's substantially slower. And so I called tech support at Otherworld Computing, and they were saying that Gigabit is actually much. They were saying even optimally, it's thirty, uh, you know, what, uh, thirty megabits or bits per second, and that FireWire 400 was quicker. And so I'm just kind of trying to figure out what to do. I mean, maybe I should just give up on network drives altogether. Um, maybe it's just not worth it. 
but I was wondering if you could shed some light on it. Uh, if you want, and this is not for the Geek Avenue. All right, then I, uh, I guess there was more there. But uh, hmm. this doesn't make any sense to me, John, because I've done tests just r- without drives involved, running network data across Firewire buses and, of course, across GigE. Hmm. And GigE runs at a gigabit, and Firewire runs at either 400 or 800, depending on whether it's 400 or 800. So I, I, I can't, what, what I have to assume, I'm sorry about kicking the mic and shoving that microphone into your, into your mouth. Are okay, you all right I'll, there? I'll throw something. Hold on. Okay, good. Go. Yeah, great. Um, it's going it's to get ugly in here, folks. <laughs> uh, so I think it's got to be that maybe the, the, the support person confused the speed of the drive because it, it would be correct to say that, look, with gig Ethernet, you're not going to get a full speed. You're not going to transfer data to the drive there at gigabit because the drive can't take it. Right. The drive could can only go mm. 30 or 35. And, and maybe that's what they're talking about. Right. Yeah. We did. T- we did talk about that. Yeah, yeah. No drive with current technology can achieve that level of throughput. No, no single drive. Single drive. Right. right. If you did a, a RAID deal, then maybe you could. Uh, now, the only thing that occurs to me is. I mean, if you're talking gigabit Ethernet, then uh, he didn't mention, but there are a number of protocols that you can use to to wrap the drive. Right. I mean, there's SMB, there's FTP, there's that. But I, I wonder if, uh, you know, try another protocol and see if, if you get a, depending on, on how flexible the drive is. I mean, I think most of them default to SMB just, just so you can work with. Most, most network drives other than the time capsule. I would. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. you're right. Yeah. So that's the only thing I could think of is that the the protocol may be just you know not very efficient the 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 one that's being used. Yeah, that's interesting. It it doesn't it but it doesn't make sense cuz gig E as far as the bus goes. Well, it could also be uh, you know it, whatever brand enclosure it was, maybe the the circuitry, the guts of the gig mm-hmm. E to to you know SATA or gig E to yeah. you know IDE bridge are you know not great, right? Because when Firewire first came out, mm. it, everybody was was all you know, it was all the buzz about the E nine eleven chipset. And if you didn't have mm. that, man, well, it it acted like Firewire. It smelled like Firewire, but it sure didn't transfer like Firewire. So you know, maybe maybe that's maybe there's some some chipset you know inconsistency. I don't know, I don't know. Mm. And 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 so, uh, yeah, it, it's it's a wired connection, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, as you're pointing out too. I mean, it could be the, just that it has you know puny little girly buffer, you know, that's it's not very large. In which case, yeah, I mean, if it only has like a one bit, right? Yeah, if it's if it's or if the, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't figure. Should we? Uh, should we do Ben? Does Ben is Ben good? Yeah, Ben's ben, question. Ben's all right, I guess. Ben Ben has a tip actually, so we'll we'll do that. You're doing this with my, you know, I'm pretty good with the, my my mouse with the left hand, but apparently not nearly fast enough uh, to to make this actually work smoothly like we normally do. Mm-hmm. All right, so Ben writes, I was catching up on your podcast and heard you uh, ask for tips, which we're always happy to share. 
Uh, to easily make a second OS partition on the fly in Leopard, you can use the Boot Camp Assistant to make a Boot Camp partition or whatever's of whatever size you want, and then use Disk Utility to erase that partition named Boot Camp in all caps to and reformat it as a HFS Plus journaled and install whatever you want on there. The advantage is that you can do this without destroying the data on your primary partition, and you can map your iTunes and iPhoto libraries to whatever partition you want. Also useful if you need to have a static configured partition for your business or personal use, etc., etc. To reverse it, it's also possible to re-erase that partition as FAT32, rename it Bootcamp. So first go into Disk Utility, rename it Bootcamp, make it FAT32, then use the Bootcamp utility to free up that space and, and stitch it all back together as, as one big partition. Um, and he says Time Machine can back up both partitions, of course. So uh, thank you, Ben. Now, the, the interesting thing to note here is that the Bootcamp Assistant actually uses a new command in the disk util uh, command line utility, which is sort of the, the back end of disk utility graphical, right? And it allows you to uh, that, that allows you to non-destructively resize volumes. And, and so you can, you can skip the whole formatting it as fat 32 and calling it bootcamp by if you, if you're willing to do it from the command line with the disk util command and we'll point to an article cause it's, it, 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 there's it's too much to explain here, but uh, but there's a great article at macgeekery.com that that walks through all this. If you're not comfortable with the command line, then I, I, I really like Ben's uh, solution there because it allows you to do it in a, a very safe and, and happy way as long as you click on the right partition when you tell it to erase. Mm. But that, you know, there's, there's only so much you can protect yourself from, folks. <laughs> Anything to add there, John? All right. Is it time to tell them how to reach us? Yes. Okay. Are, are you there, okay there are so many ways. Um, I think our, our favorite is uh, send us an audio comment. Absolutely. And, and how, how would you propose that they do that? Can they just shout it into the air and then we'll, we'll grab it? And uh, we're, we, we are working on that. <laughs> um, but I think you can email. Oh, gosh. What is it again? It's uh, uh, Is it Mac Geek Gab? Well, um, it's, it's feedback. Ah, feedback it. At MacGeekGab.com. Got it. And that'll get to, to both John and I directly. It's the best email address to use. So that is feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Now, the other, of course, another one I like and I have no problem remembering is you can call us at 206-666-GEEK, which is 4335. And uh, and you can Skype us, though someone said they had trouble Skyping us, but many others have said that, you know, the, the issue is solved. Uh, so it's Skype to Mac Geek Gab, and that will get immediately to John and I. So a uh, very handy little way of doing it. Um, iTunes comments. We love the iTunes comments. Yes. Yeah, it's great. We do. Yeah. yeah. Some of them are, are uh, yeah, make it all worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. It all makes it all worthwhile. It's good. So, yeah iTunes comments, feedback at MacGeekGab.com, 206-666-GEEK. And uh, if you find another way to reach us, um, I guess I guess you'll use that. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Uh, how are we doing on time here? Is it time to uh, wrap things up, John, or, or should we do uh, should we, should we do Keith's uh, thing? Keith? This is interesting. Can, yeah. it's, a, it's good for discussion, I think. I, I, I like the... Uh, 
the opportunity for chatting on this one here. All right, Keith. Hi, John and Dave. I'm a longtime listener, and I love the podcast. Please keep up the great work. I'm calling in today because I have a problem that has been bugging me for a while now, and I can't seem to find the answer anywhere. So I turn to the best. I'm running into a problem of some sort when trying to log into a particular website. The login page is a secure page, but has some non-secure items on it. Firefox on the Mac shows the lock with the line through it, and the contextual message of warning contains unauthenticated content. When I attempt to log... Alright, hang on. We gotta uh, deal with this hard drive thing. Let's, uh, let's try Keith's comment one more time and, and hope that the buffer gods smile down upon us. Hi, John and Dave. I'm a long-time listener, and I love the podcast. Please keep up the great work. I'm calling in today because I have a problem that has been bugging me for a while now, and I can't seem to find the answer anywhere. So I turn to the best. I'm running into a problem of some sort when trying to log into a particular website. The login page is a secure page, but has some non-secure items on it. Firefox on the Mac shows the lock with the line through it, and the contextual message of warning contains unauthenticated content. When I attempt to log in, it accepts the password and acts like it's going to the landing page, but I get diverted right back to the login page. I know the password is correct because if I put in the wrong password, I get the message your ID or password was entered incorrectly. So, we know the password is correct and that we are at least making contact with the authentication server, but for some reason, we're not getting through to the landing page. This alone is problem enough, but it gets worse, or I guess better depending on how you look at it. This only happens when I'm at work. I have tried two different computers, both Mac and Windows, with multiple browsers including Safari, Firefox, and Internet Explorer 7, all to no avail. I contacted our IT person, and they say the only outbound traffic that is blocked is instant messaging traffic. Here's the twist. I have no trouble accessing the site from home or even my iPhone. I take my MacBook Pro to work with me so I know it isn't a local settings issue as the exact same computer setup works when I get home. I have checked the console logs for any interesting morsels of info and there's nothing of note there. I'm running out of ideas for fixes and would appreciate your insight. Thanks again for a great show and this is where you cut me off. Thanks, Keith. And, uh... Yeah, we'll see about this audio issue. All right, but but wow. to, on to Keith's issue. So that this was is a pretty thorough uh, steps he did there in order to isolate the problem. He he has properly honored the troubleshooting process. Mm-hmm. So different machines, different browsers. Right. My guess. Um, well, what he should do is beat the IT person. I think this is where the problem is. No. <laughs> wow. I'm okay. guessing they oh, have it's... some sort of. So it sounds like they're already blocking some traffic, like IM, which is kind of funny because, well, at least in our place, you know, um, if you know your ports, you, you can get IM through it. I mean, a lot of times, like I forget. AOL uh, but, Instant Messenger will run over port 80. Yes. So. I think, <laughs> and, and at one point, you know, I used, uh, yeah, because I think they're normally on 5190 or some high port. And yeah. a lot of places will block those higher ports from going out. But I think I've even used like port 13, which I think is, you know, a network. Identity, yeah. Yeah, and then it'll yeah. sneak through that for some reason. But uh, um, and, Sky- and of course, Skype will traverse yeah. all firewalls. My yeah. my brother um, works for you know Fortune, certainly one hundred company. Yeah, and uh, and and you know they they have all sorts of firewalls in place, and he accidentally had me. You know, so Skype just works fine. He accidentally called me from a a meeting at one point. Uh, you know, he clicked the call button instead of the chat button or something, uh. and. Uh, 
yeah, the call went through no problem. Audio, pa- audio and video passed like it was nothing. And he's like, gosh, just this is odd. Our firewall's not supposed to do this. I guess I better hang up. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so, so anyway, my guess is yeah. there's some sort of stateful firewall that is just getting upset at what it thinks is something bad, and it's uh, it's diverting him back to the the page. That's just a okay. Can you give us a uh, a, a quick and dirty kind of translation of what a stateful firewall is? Um, what it does, so, so a very basic firewall will just block traffic on certain ports. Uh, okay. These the stateful firewalls will kind of watch your traffic and, and try to, um, I haven't used them in depth, but, sure. but that's my understanding is that, you know, they'll watch the traffic and look for certain suspicious patterns. Uh, so it's an additional way to guard against uh, people you know, doing bad things. Got it. Um, and is, so is, leopards, seeing... is leopards internal? And I know, I know this is a tangent, but is, would you consider leopards internal firewall stateful because it's not just blocking ports? It's, you know, watching what applications are trying to use those ports. I mean, it, does that fall into um, that category of stateful or is it just sucky? I don't. Th- <laughs> yeah, I haven't done a lot of work with that. I mean, yeah, they okay. really ruined the, uh, the, the interface to it yeah. in, um, yeah. in my opinion, in, uh, you know, the latest version of OS 10. But I think they're using IPFW underneath the covers. Right, but I think IPFW can be used for any, yeah. uh, you know, all sorts of different things. Well, maybe it can. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Okay. So, uh, so clearly, IT has to be doing. I mean, I, what what else could it be? I mean, unless uh, somehow they've got uh, you know a remote control thing on his computer, and every time he goes to type in his password, they you know they sit there and add an extra character uh, because they don't have anything else better to do with their time. But I I can't imagine. That uh, in today's economy, we have people who would be sitting there and 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 that that would be their sole purpose in, in life would be typing that one extra character into the password field every time. Yeah. Thoughts on that? Yeah, no. looking here, actually, it does seem that you do IPFW can be made uh, stateful. Yeah, I think it, I, I, I think found it a can. few hits. Yeah, um, I'll have yeah. to read up on it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess you got to talk to your IT person and say, uh you know, help me out here. Because, so, I mean, he sh- I'm assuming the, the ports that he mentioned, that, you know, he's on port 80, which is standard for HTTP. Yeah, or 443. 443, which right. is uh, standard for, um, um, you know, secure connection. Right. But, you know, I have, oh, man, I think it's uh, one of my banks. Because, um, yeah, I got all this money and, you know, got lots of different, no, it's, it's <laughs> the bank. We should talk. And they installed something new. And for whatever stupid reason, I hate it when people do this, is that, you got to connect to port 9000 to access, or no, I'm sorry, it's a bill pay service that I use. And I'm like, why are you guys going on port 9000? The problem is Safari hates them. If I try to connect, I'll enter my username, enter my password. It brings up a screen saying, you know, welcome to our new bill pay system. And then after a few seconds, it says, I'm sorry, your connection timed out. <laughs> I'm like, what? That's crazy. And it works fine with Firefox. So, um, but why are you putting it on this wacky port? Come on, guys. That's nuts. Yeah. Huh. Well, what about um, now? Now, could he, if he set up a VPN somewhere, that potentially hmm. might... If he tunnels... Uh, if he tunnels all his traffic, yeah, right, yeah. Through, through the VPN connection. And I know, uh, Pete, you use a third-party, uh, if you know, subscription VPN, right? I do. I do. It's called Hotspot VPN. Okay. Uh, I was turned on to it by a, a UPS guy, uh, Captain Slim, on okay. Twitter. He uh, he recommended I try that, and it's been great. They have a few different plans depending on the level of encryption you want and that sort of thing. Again, the main reason I did it, I'm on the road quite a bit, and I do need to do banking from the road. 
you don't want to do it in particular from a Starbucks or a McDonald's right. or, or even in many cases it, when you're wired in hardwire Ethernet in the hotel, oh, yeah. you think you're perfectly safe. Come to find out you're not. Uh, so it's nice to create that uh, encrypted tunnel yeah. to the VPN. It gives you a different IP address uh, somewhere else in the United States. The other cool advantage to that for you international travelers oh, right. is... Um, when you're yeah, you're, when you're overseas, your Skype calls uh, then become free for only you know nine bucks a month or whatever you pay hotspot VPN. I was just going to say, but you're you're paying to so you're, that your Skype different. Skype's not going yeah. overseas. You're just tunneling it from you're there. You're tunneling so it to it. You're paying right, for that. To, yeah. That's right. So yeah. you're, you're going to pay one way or the other. It's right. probably cheaper to use Skype from overseas. <laughs> right. Um, but the other thing it it lets me do is it lets me watch my Netflix. Uh, on demand from because right. overseas you can't do that right. hulu you can't watch from overseas but you can get your united states ip address and watch that stuff there's a bit of a performance hit but again the main thing i use it for it, it allows me to do things without being having my traffic sniffed my, my right. passwords and usernames and that sort of thing right. even, you know even like twitter stuff I, you know if someone hijacks my twitter account yeah, I'd be bummed, but it wouldn't be the end of the world. Sure. But this would prevent even that. You know, it's all going out encrypted. Cool. Yeah. All right. Any? Uh, do we have anything else? I think it's. Uh, I think it's time to bring in the band. But you know, I'm. I'm so hesitant to do that because there they are. We're not stuttering. All Yet. is good in the world. Yeah. Thanks, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate that. Any last uh, parting words of wisdom here, John? Mm. No. It's early in the day. This is interesting for us. I had to caffeinate to uh, mm-hmm. to, to push through the show, and usually I, I don't caffeinate much at all. Uh, so you know how to contact us. Again, 206-666-GEEK-4335. Mm-hmm. Right? And then the email address. Do you remember it now, John? This is a pop quiz. Uh, feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Yes. Wow. Excellent. You win. We have a winner. What do I win? I'm not sure. Um, we'll have to uh, we'll have to figure that out. I think you uh, you won episode number 178 of the podcast. I I, I won the sandbox. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, all right. MacWorld Expo is January 5th through 9th. That will be here before you know it, folks. We do have winners for the haiku contest. Uh, it is they, they are posted at MacObserver.com, and we'll uh, we'll we'll put a link to that in, in the show notes. Because I don't have them right in front of me to read, but but uh, we may we may read some uh, may read some of the winners and actually some of the honorable mentions too. They were all good, and everyone who submitted a haiku for this contest uh, gets two tickets to uh, to Cirque du Mac, which happens on um, Wednesday, which would be January seventh, uh, out in San Francisco. So. You don't want to miss that. The Macworld All-Star Band plays. It's a good thing. and uh, But tickets are hard to come by. They are limited in supply, so I can't guarantee them for everyone, but uh, we'll see what we can do. iPhoneAlley.com is the home of Michael Johnston, where he uh, does the iPhone Alley podcast and, of course, publishes the site, and then he converts this to AAC for all of us. Oh, very important note about the iPhone 2.2 update. There is... What we're assuming is some bug-ish in the uh, iPhone 2.2 update that causes some podcasts, and really it's from some servers, AAC podcasts, when they are downloaded directly to the iPhone, the iPhone sees them as video files and not audio files. And the big implication of that 
is you cannot play it with the screen off. As soon as you turn the screen off, it stops playing. Same file downloaded to your Mac or PC and then synced USB to your iPhone will work just fine. Uh, Many, many uh, teams of people are working on this issue, so hopefully uh, we will find a workaround for the Mac Geek Gab, but but it's going to impact other podcasts too without question, and and it does. Uh, But all the appropriate parties are aware of the fact that the issue is happening and, and sort of where it must be. But, but as far as I know, a solution has not been implemented yet, but we are, we are working on it and everyone's working on it. So I just want to let you know, uh, Cashfly hosting is the place where you download the podcast. And that is all the bandwidth provided by Cashfly. Uh, the podcast marketplace of course includes the W one from audio engine, BB edit nine from Barebone software disc label from smile on my mac notebook from circus ponies and of course you are free oh the music ran out see i'm not sitting in my normal spot so i uh i, I don't get to uh the band's on strike the oh, band's band went on strike bring them back it's fine it's fine we'll just keep the steamroller going folks audiblepodcast.com slash mac geek gab all through the backbeat media podcast network we love the iTunes comments. Don't forget about the iTunes comments. We won't forget about the iTunes comments. And thanks for staying subscribed. 